You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. A blessed morning to everyone. Good morning. There you go. One time we went to Malangas because there was a, an event there and they invited me to speak. And our young people also joined with me. When we were there, we booked in an inn, and while we were there, I looked around surrounding that inn, and I saw a beautiful scenario, scenery, and there was a pool, there was a green hill in front of it, there were coconuts around, and I turned to one of the young people, and I told him, you know, this is a good place for a retreat. And he looked at me into my eyes and he said, No, Pastor, this is not a good place. And I became curious why he said that to me. And I asked him why. He said, One reason. Because there is no signal. We don't like here because there is no signal here and there is no access to the internet. Well, nowadays... Access to the internet became like a necessity for the young generation. It is something that they cannot live without. It became an indispensable thing for them. Well, for adults, maybe it's still possible. It's okay if there is no internet. But for the younger generation, no. We don't like here. Why? Because there is no internet connection. We went to Manila to go to, a, to visit a training. And then we were hosted in a place through an Airbnb na booking. And after the, the, the duration that we stayed there, we were talking about the utility, the facility, I mean, that we use. And everybody liked it. I was with the young people as well. And I asked them, why do you like the place? They said, well, they provide a very strong internet connection. So it became an indispensable thing for the youth. Well, if internet is indispensable for the younger generation, I will be introducing matters that must be indispensable for a Christian, for the life of a believer. And that is why the new series is entitled, Indispensable. And under that series are three sermons. We have faith, hope, and love. So for today, we will be talking about faith. Next Sunday, hope. On the third Sunday, love. On the fourth and fifth Sunday, it's going to be a series break. And we will introduce to you a new series by the month of August. So today we will be looking at faith. Faith is something that everyone has. Even the agnostics, even the atheists, I believe they have faith deep within them. But faith can be addressed or anchored to an object. So even if an unbeliever, you ask them, do you have faith? They will deny it. But yet, you can still observe that there is faith existing in their life, but it is just anchored on an object that is not God. 
One time, there were two individuals. They are close friends to each other. They attended a church service, and after the preaching of the word, there was the offertory. One of them grabbed his wallet from his pocket and then opened it, and he saw that inside his wallet, there was only one bill, a thousand peso bill. And he was hesitant to get it, to drop it in the offering box, because in his mind, later, I'll be needing this. His friend looked at him while he was gazing at his wallet and told him, bro, you just drop it to the box. And he looked at him and said, I am hesitant because there is something that I'll be using this with later. And I don't have any other bill in my wallet. His friend told him, you just drop it. I will give you whatever you would need later. And so he went forward and dropped the 1,000 peso bill. And then the service went on, and the service was done, and they went out to the church, and they rode their car. The both of them were in the same car. His friend was thinking about it, and he said, you know, bro, it was ironic that you had faith in me, but you did not have faith in God. He said, why did you say that? He was offended, and he asked, why did you say that? Well, he said, in God's Word, He tells us that He will provide for our needs. And you did not believe in what He said because you were hesitant to drop your money in the offering box. And yet when I told you I will provide for you, without hesitation, you went forward and dropped your money. And he realized that it was really what happened. And he said, yeah, you're right, bro. I think I have to confess this to the Lord that I showed my faith to you more than I, have, I should show my faith to God. And then if you look at that situation, it tells us that all the time, actually, we all have faith. Sometimes we just vary on the object of the faith that we have. Because sometimes we anchor our faith on God. Sometimes we anchor it on a person Sometimes the object of our faith is our job. Sometimes the object of our faith is our accomplishments or whatever we have around us. So all of us, we have faith. We just differ in the object of the faith that we have. This morning, we will visit a story. A story, a narrative in the book of Luke, wherein there were two individuals, both of them had faith. But they, had, they varied in the object of their faith. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke 7, 36 to 50. I'll read from the Nasby 1995 edition. The word of the Lord says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, 
he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Rarely that you would see a Pharisee inviting Jesus with an objective intention to dine with him. Because oftentimes we would see in the gospel accounts that whenever Jesus had an encounter with a Pharisee, it was often a confrontation. The Pharisee would go to him looking for ways to destroy his credibility. A Pharisee would call him an invitation, inviting him to dine with him for a trap. It was often that way. And this time, I am even suspicious on this invitation. A Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to have a meal with him. And Jesus gave in to the invitation. What was his purpose? I suspect. He was actually wanting to find out for himself if what was told about the rumors that was spread around that Jesus is no ordinary person, that he is a prophet, a messiah, or maybe the one that they have been waiting for for so long. So he wanted to find out for himself. And thus, the conversation happened. Jesus went to his house. When Jesus was in his house, it so happened also that somebody came into their midst. Who was that person? The text tells us that there was a woman in verse 37, a woman who was popular in the city. She was not known because she was really that good looking. She was not known for her wealth. She was not known for her accomplishments. But this woman was known for being a sinner. She is considered branded as a sinner by the society. And here comes this woman 
who came to the very feet of Jesus because Jesus was reclining at the table. When you recline at the table, you are positioned on a sideways and your face is toward the table and with those people surrounding the table and your feet are out. So this woman, when she arrived at the house of the Pharisee, Jesus was reclining at the table and behind Jesus, the woman positioned himself and she started crying. The text tells us that she cried. And she was not only crying silently, but she was weeping. She was sobbing. Everyone in the house heard what she was doing. And this woman started to bow down. And her tears were falling to the feet of Jesus. And she was wiping the feet of Jesus with her very own hair. Now, Take note that the author introduced this woman with an adjective as a sinner. And this gives us a scenario that this woman is not appropriate to touch Jesus, to get close to him, because Jesus is perceived by many as a holy man of God, somebody who is pure, somebody who must draw himself away from sinful people. And this is how a Pharisee thought of being clean back then. If you want to be clean or to keep yourself clean, as a holy person as perceived by the society, you must stay away from this kind of individuals. Where was Jesus this time? He was in the house of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee would think, I shall stay away from this sinful woman. And yet Jesus did not say anything when that woman was there crying at his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And so when the Pharisee saw this scenario, he said to himself, look at verse 39. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee saw who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman who is touching him a sinner. In other words, this affirms my suspicion earlier that he invited Jesus because he really wanted to find out for himself what really kind of person Jesus is. Is he a holy one? Is he a prophet or less than a prophet? or just a simple, ordinary Jew. So this time, when he saw this woman getting touched with Jesus, he made a conclusion. He deduced the scenario and said to himself, this guy is not even a prophet. Jesus must not be a prophet because if he is, he must have known what kind of person is this that is touching him and he must have reprimanded her already. So he made a conclusion out of his observation. Well, after that, he never said a word. He just said it in his heart and mind. So he said that not audibly, just to himself. Jesus is not a prophet. What happened next is that when you look at verse 40, surprisingly, Jesus responded to the musings deep within his heart and mind. And I think he was even surprised about this matter. Look at verse 40. Jesus 
answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, Say it, teacher. Now take note. In the earlier part, probably, he was, he was um, giving himself the benefit of a doubt whether this guy is really a holy one, a prophet or not. But what, with what he saw, he now addressed Jesus as a teacher. So a teacher must be a lower, a bit lower than a prophet. Teacher, you may say it, teacher. And Jesus told him a parable. A parable that went like this. Jesus told him, Simon, there is a money lender. And this money lender, there were two individuals who were indebted to him. One owed him 50 denarii. The other owed him 500 denarii. Well, 50 denarii is much already. Because a denarius is equal to one day work, the wage for a day work. So if you're, you work and you have a thousand pesos that you receive from your work daily, then you multiply that by 50, that's the amount of the 50 denarii. The other one owed him 500, meaning to say that's 500 day of work. Now, when the money lender realized that both of them could no longer pay him, he responded out of grace and mercy. And the money lender told these two individuals, you owe me 50, do not mind it anymore. You don't have to pay for it. I'll declare it quits. You owe me 500, do not mind it anymore. I'll declare it quits. Now, Simon, Jesus asked him, who do you think would love more between these two people? Who do you think would love more the money lender? The answer is obvious, right? You don't need a, a degree to answer a question like that. Of course, the one who owed him 500 because he just made it quits. 500, that's 500 days of work. It's almost two years. And if you'll just say it quits, it's okay, don't mind it anymore. So this guy must, must love the moneylender more than anybody else around. You know how Simon answered? He said, well, I suppose it's the one who, who, who owed him 500 denarii. Seriously, Simon? With that question in which the answer is so clear, as clear as crystal, you are responding to Jesus with a supposition? Why is he answering that way? Maybe if he is intelligent enough, he already knew where that the story is going. I suppose the one who, got, who owed him 500 denarii. And Jesus saw, said to him, you judge correctly. You judge correctly, Simon. And then after he said this, he looked at the woman. Now, take note. Jesus was talking to Simon, the Pharisee. And yet this time he looked at the woman and said to Simon. So see the scenario here. He looked at the woman and said, Simon, what is he trying to do is he wants Simon to look at the woman as well. So that he would realize what Jesus wanted him to learn. So Jesus said to him, look at the woman. He looked at the woman and said, Simon, look at this woman. 
I came to your house, but you never give me a water to wash my feet. But this woman has been crying and washing my feet with her tears. You know, in the ancient day in Israel, every house would have jars of water in front. What is that for? Every visitor and even the owners of the house, every time they go back home, when they go back home, their feet would be filled with dust. So they will wash their feet. Scholars agree that most probably, the water during the wedding in Canada, the jars there at the front, those were not drinking waters, jars for drinking waters. Those were jars for cleansing. And Jesus used those jars to turn the water into wine. Every house before had this kind of jar. So Jesus entered the house of the Pharisee without him receiving a water so that he can wash his feet. What does that say to the readers? It only tells us that Jesus actually was not that welcome in the house of Simon. So he said to Simon, look at this woman. When I came to your house, you never gave me a water to wash my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears. And then Simon, I arrived in your house and you never gave me a welcome kiss. But this woman, since I arrived here, since, since she has been here, she has been kissing my feet. A very humble position that a woman took. And Jesus was telling Simon, you never gave me a kiss when I arrived. Another custom that they practice when a visitor comes, the owner of the house would anoint the head of the visitor with oil. But Simon never did that. And Jesus said to him, you never anointed my head with oil. This time this woman is anointing my feet with a perfume, an expensive one. It was commonly believed that a vial of a perfume, an alabaster jar with a perfume in it, would cost a year's wage. So you total the amount of money that you receive from your work for one year. That's the amount of the bile that this woman has. And when it's inside an alabaster jar, it is not usable the way we use the perfumes today, that you just open the cover and pss, 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 cover. And then the following day, you spray yourself. No, 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 no. If it's in an alabaster jar, they'll break the jar and you cannot use it anymore. It's just one time. This woman reserved that for Jesus. And here is the thing. When Jesus said this, she was, he was actually bringing the character of the parable of the one who owed 500 denarii to the moneylender, to the very person of this lady. And he, she, he, said, he said to Simon, Simon, this lady has done so much for me, expressing her much love for me because of her sins that were forgiven, which is many. In other words, Jesus is bringing the character of the one who owed 500 denarii to the money lender, to the life of the woman. And Jesus is telling, this woman is showing her gratitude, her extravagant gratitude and thanksgiving to me 
because I have forgiven her. Her sins that are many have been forgiven. That's why she is acting that way. And Simon is left with no other character to compare himself but to the one who owed 50 denarii. So if you look at these comparisons within the real characters surrounding Jesus in relation to the characters of the parable that he related, he was comparing the woman, the sinner, to the one who owed much the money lender. And then he compared the Pharisee to the one who owed 50 denarii to the money lender. And Jesus is giving appreciation to this lady. Why? Jesus is telling Simon, Simon, this lady is now giving an extravagant gratitude because she perceived that she sinned a lot before me and I have forgiven her sins. What is Jesus telling Simon is that when the woman wiped my feet with her tears, when she touched me, you were thinking that I am not even a prophet because I would have perceived the kind of person she is. But here it is, Simon. Listen very carefully. I am not only perceiving a sinner. I am perceiving even the words in your mind and your heart, even if you don't say it. And not only that I can perceive, but I can also forgive. When Jesus displayed this to Simon, there is a realization that God, that Jesus, is claiming actually the attribute of God who can forgive sins. No wonder if you look at verse 47, for this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Look at verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And what did the people around them think of? They said to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Well, this was not the first encounter of the Pharisees when Jesus declared that he can forgive sins. You look at chapter 5. They had an encounter with the Lord already that he can forgive sins, and yet they continued to reject him. What does the narrative is saying to us is this. When you look at the experience of the woman... She had an understanding. She had a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he has forgiven her sins already. And because she has been forgiven, she is now giving her extravagant gratitude to the Lord. Yet this Pharisee, his faith is not anchored on the person of Christ. His faith is anchored on his religion. His faith, the object of his faith was the, were the practices within that Judaistic belief system. That was the object of his faith. But the woman, the object of her faith is not the religion. The object of the woman's faith is no other than Christ alone. And there is a declaration here out of this text that faith becomes useless if it is anchored to the wrong object, I'll repeat, faith becomes useless if it is anchored to the wrong object. No matter what kind of faith you would have, no matter how strong your faith and conviction is, if it is anchored to the wrong object, that won't avail anything. One time we were asked to officiate a burial. But before the burial, we had a necrological service here at the church. So it was attended by so many people. After the service, 
the family asked me to lead the songs in the cemetery. And another pastor from our church was assigned to do the burial ceremony. So he brought his car, I brought my car, because there were other passengers who rode with us. And there were so many people that attended that the convoy became very long. When we arrived at the intersection, because of the length of the convoy, it was interrupted by some motorcycles. And what happened was that more than half of the convoy already were able to pass through the traffic, the, the crossing, the traffic light. But less than half of the convoy were left, stuck in the traffic. So we went ahead to the cemetery, and when we arrived there, we waited for around 10 minutes. We saw the car of my co-pastor who was assigned to officiate the burial. We saw his car enter the gate and he, went, he drove fast but not going to where we were. He drove fast to another group which is a bit distant from where we were. So I suspected already that he was going to another burial, that he is going to go there and conduct the burial ceremony. I was alarmed. So I started running toward that direction because I wanted to tell him that that's a wrong group of people that he went to. Well, I was a bit late because he arrived there, went down from his car and grabbed the microphone and started saying, let's start. Let's start the burial now. I'm requesting everyone to please start gathering near me now. And everyone there started looking at him, wondering, who is this guy? We don't even know him. Well, at the end of the day, he was doing the right thing, but to the wrong group of people. Right? He's there to officiate the burial, but it so happened that it's the wrong group of people that he went to. So I told him, Pastor, that's not ours. It's in the other side. <laughs> and so he just said, sorry, I'm sorry. And we both went to that group that we were supposed to officiate. It's the right thing that he was doing, but to a wrong group of people. It's the same thing when we have the right faith, but it is anchored to the wrong object. It won't avail anything. So we must have the right faith and anchored to the right person, the right object of faith. And take note, the object of faith must not be a kind of work, a kind of group, a kind of religion, a kind of belief system. No, no, no. The object of our faith must be a person. Who is that person? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman, in contrast to the Pharisee, the Pharisee anchored his faith to his belief system. And yet the woman anchored her faith to the very person of Christ. And thus, when you put them together, this woman realized that in Jesus, she found forgiveness already. That is why she did that extravagant gratitude that I have been describing here. Why? Because she realized that there is forgiveness in the very person of Christ. Take note of this. Take note of this, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Faith in Jesus is indispensable in order for a person to experience forgiveness, which would pave the way for gratefulness to be expressed. I'll repeat. 
Faith in the very person of Christ, Jesus Christ, is indispensable for forgiveness to be experienced, which would pave the way for gratefulness to be expressed. The most grateful people on the planet must be the believers. Why? Because when we realize that our sins can never be forgiven by anything, and only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Calvary is more than enough to wash our sins away, then who will not be grateful to Christ for what he did? Imagine that. These two individuals were presented here. And the woman just so happened to have anchored her faith in the person of Christ. Faith is truly indispensable if you are a believer. Faith in Jesus Christ to be very clear and to be very exact. To whom are we anchoring our faith this moment? If we anchored our faith in Christ, then we are assured of the forgiveness of sins. And because we are assured of the forgiveness of sins, it paves the way for gratitude to come out of our hearts and that Jesus would receive our gratefulness just as this woman gave to him. No wonder in the end part of the narrative, in the last verse of the chapter, Jesus said to her, Woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Why? Because the woman anchored her faith on the right object. When your faith is in Christ, you have been forgiven already. Take note of the tense here. When Jesus said, your faith has saved you. In the Greek grammar, it is indicative and perfect. Meaning, Jesus' statement is a fact a fact that is anchored on what was done already in the past. Meaning, the woman was already forgiven before she expressed her gratitude to Christ. So take note again with what I said earlier. Our faith in Christ is an indispensable matter in order for us to experience forgiveness, which would pave the way for us for gratefulness to be expressed to Christ as well. So this time, before I lead in the communion, I am inviting all of you who have faith in Jesus, who has the appreciation of the forgiveness that we receive from Him, I am inviting all of you to utter a prayer of thanksgiving to Him. We may not shed our tears the way this sinful woman did. We may not anoint the feet of Jesus with a vial of perfume, but when we put our hearts in the very presence of God and show to Him how grateful we are, I think it's an acceptable act of worship from God's children. So this is an invitation for everyone. Shall we all bow down our heads and express to Jesus how grateful you are personally for the forgiveness of the sins that we have committed. You just heard the message from Zumbuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
For more updates, you can follow us in our social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zekayak Ministries. See you there!